How many people have a freaking clock in their bathroom? I don't. I'm in my bathroom currently. There's no way to tell time. Other than my phone and my computer and my iPad, I've got an absorbent amount of technology sitting in my bathroom on a regular basis. Um, and I know this is not normal. Welcome back to Privy. Privy is a podcast about bathrooms recorded here from my home bathroom. I'm your host, Hunter Hoover, the host from the toilet, and I love bathrooms. You know, sometimes, um, so I use, just (laughs) peek behind the the shower curtain here, I, I use Audacity, which is a free program, and I say it's a free program because it's not bad, but here's the deal. Every now and then, Audacity just goes, hey, you know those settings that you've been using for pushing 40 episodes? What if we just randomly turned one of those settings off? So I have just spent the last 15 minutes figuring out how to monitor my audio as I speak. Um, it's fixed now. Uh, and those of you who are like tech junkie buff people, you're going, this fool does, it took him 15 minutes. but. Uh, 15 minutes in a YouTube video later, I am now ready to go monitoring my own audio. Um, and so at the top of the episode, as always, to do a little bathroom check, um, went to prepare uh, something for an upcoming episode. And I'm going to have to do some some very, very rudimentary plumbing work in order to set this bad boy up. So more on that to come. I had to explain to someone that if your uh, body produces what I like to call a mixture of liquid shaz and air, then you gotta check the just toilet area. You gotta check the toilet area, uh, is what I'd say. Also, you know, a uh, little little lesson learned here. The amount of time a person spends in the bathroom directly relates and tells other people outside of the bathroom a lot about what they're doing in there. And uh, this came up. I had a young man um, who used the facilities where I work. Dude was in there a bit. Uh, I thought maybe we were going to have to send in a rescue team. But yeah, he he, he made it out. Seemed to be doing well. And uh, yeah. Also, uh, d- too much queso will will leave you in what I like to call the haunt. Uh, and that is, you are haunting the bathroom as your tummy haunts you. Last week, we talked a little bit about um, inspiration. And uh, we're going to kind of revisit that because the day that this episode releases, uh, November 5th, uh, and and you're going to hear this and y'all are going to be like, oh, this is another stretch, but just bear with me. Um, but in on November 5th, 1955, uh, so go back a few years, an event occurred that would change people's lives forever. And it's not, listen, strap in. Um, and more importantly, it would entertain generations with this concept and this franchise that now people would be just kind of enamored with. Because on November 5th, 1955, Dr. Emmett Brown came up with the inspiration for the flux capacitor, which of course, in Back to the Future, tells us 
is the device by which he and Marty are able to time travel. Originally on November 5th, 1955, events would take place that result in Marty and Doc's interactions. But when Marty goes back to the past, he he time travels. Um, For lack of a better way to say it, things get complicated. If you've seen Back to the Future, I don't need to explain it to you. But we start to look at this butterfly effect of what what are the effects of time travel, particularly when you start interacting with your own timeline. He almost, Marty, that is, almost ceases to exist um, and in turn has to ensure that things play out that result in his existence. In short, he needs to make sure his parents are able to produce a child, one of which is him. The situation here, though, results in one of the most uncomfortable movie sequences, wherein Marty McFly's mother essentially tries to seduce and hook up with him, Marty McFly, her own son, returned from the future. It's wild. It is included in this movie, I I assume intentionally. But the idea of this Back to the Future, we're going to talk a little bit about Back to the Future, and more importantly, the bathroom that inspired the flux capacitor. In Back to the Future, Back to the Future was conceived of, as in it was brought forth in in 1980 by Robert Zemeckis um, and and, uh, another gentleman named Gail. Galen Zemeckis came up with the the writing, and they were desperate for a successful film after numerous collaborative failures. They had each, on their own ventures out, kind of run into a number of movie failures. And so they came up with this idea of this time travel kind of buddy comedy. But the idea was rejected over 40 times by studios, and we're going to talk in a little bit why. Uh, a development deal was secured following Zemeckis' success directing Romancing the Stone, uh, and Michael J. Fox was the first choice to portray Marty McFly, but Fox was unavailable, so Eric Stoltz was cast in the place of Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly. Shortly after principal photography began in 1984, Zemeckis determined, he was like, listen, Mr. Stoltz, you, you're not Marty McFly. You're not right for the part. And they made all of these deals and concessions in order to hire Michael J. Fox. Uh, obviously, this included refilming scenes. We're going to get to that in a little while that were already shot and it added another four million dollars to the budget back to the future was filmed in around california on sets universal studios and uh, what's interesting is in in doing this role change like so they have this this eric stoltz um and eric stoltz is cast uh as marty mcfly in a movie about time travel and in doing this, this role switch, in many ways, uh, 
they they actually did this own time warp because they had to refilm sequences. They actually went back in time, if you will, and replaced Marty for Stoltz and thus rewrote the timeline in some sense of Back to the Future. But replacing Stoltz delayed production of Back to the Future. And the film's original release debut was following highly successful test screenings. The date was brought forward to July 3rd to give Back to the Future more time in theaters. This resulted in a rushed post-production. So they, they didn't have as much time to get this thing, like, polished. But it would seem that <laughs> they're fine because it was a huge success. It brought in $381 million and was one of the highest grossing films of 1985 in the world. The, the fans loved the story. They loved the comedy. They loved the cast, the, the, particularly Michael Jade Fox. And, and uh, yeah, it, they made good choices. Um, and one of the, like, there, there's the, you know, it's famous for The Power of Love by Huey Lewis in the news, um, which was already having significant success. And, and unfortunately, in modern times, they, they, they point out that they let this white, they're trying to make this white kid take credit for black musicians' um, uh, contribution to music. And I don't, I don't think that was the point, but I see, like, nowadays the concession of why they do that. Um, but I don't think that was the intention in 1985 when they made this movie and released it. But no, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, yeah, you don't want to do that. Some considerations that are taken that often don't get discussed was that following the release, um, so Gail released a movie, a comedy called Used Cars in 1980. Um, and after the release of that movie, uh, Gail, who is who is credited as co-writing and helping Zemeckis, uh, Gail was visiting his parents um, and came across whoops, and came across his father's old high school yearbook. And Gail's poking around in his dad's high school yearbook, which is scary enough, and he began to wonder whether he and his parents, namely his father would have been friends had they attended school together. Um, and he, he didn't think so. But realized that he could test this theory only if he could travel back in time to when he and his parents would have been a similar age. And it's kind of a weird thought experiment. Like, would you be friends with your parents? when, Like, if you were in high school, you're 15, 16, 17 years old, would you be friends with the 15, 16, 17-year-old version of your parents? Like, it's weird. Let alone, like, also think, Will would our kids, if you have kids, would your kids be friends with you if you guys were the same age? Um, it's kind of a weird thing to bake your noodle on. Um, but... Gail shared this idea, this this time travel to discover uh, whether or not you would be friends with your own parental units. Um, to, he shared it with Zemeckis, who recalled his mother's childhood stories 
were often contradictory. <laughs> you know, he's like, hey, like, mom, you, you've told me these stories in the past, and then you've gone back and told me them, and there's some contradictions. And you know what? It would be kind of fun to go back and, and hear about these. And we see these two ideas come into play in, in the world of Marty McFly, wherein he goes back and he finds those things to be true. Like his mom, who's kind of portrayed as somewhat of, for lack of a better word, a prude in the current timeline. When he goes back, man, she's just looking for a dude. Uh, and it's, isn't that how it always goes? Galen Zemeckis began a draft of the movie in the late 1980, uh, in late 1980. And because they believed that many time travel films at the time, which I don't think there was too many, but they all focused on the past being this fixed and unchangeable thing that you can go and you can kind of dance around in and you can play in the past. But the things that you do in the past are not really going to like have any effect on your present or your future. Um, and so they wanted to show a past that could be changed. And that when you change that past, it will directly affect the present, which in that time is the future. In the draft, um, Professor Brown, Doc Brown, as he's later uh, finalized as, is a video pirate. And, and he builds a time machine that sends his young friend, Marty, back to the 1950s. Um, wherein Marty interrupts his parents' timeline. Uh, and you, you, you can see the, the parallels here. Um, but Galen Zemeckis, they pitched their idea to Columbia Pictures' president. And so the president of Columbia Pictures, he had seen Gale's comedy, Used Cars, and he liked it. And he liked the idea of working with Galen Zemeckis. They thought, he thought he would make a good duo, which... but. They they pitch the they pitch this movie uh, to the to the president of Columbia Pictures, and they they completed the first draft, but but the the president believed it needed refinement. So early concepts were abandoned, and originally the changes that happened in the movie to 1955 had a more significant impact on 1985, making it more futuristic. So. When you change the past, originally they thought that it would speed up the timeline so that way 1985 looks more like the Jetsons and less like 1985. But every person who read the script, they didn't like it. They're like, no, 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 no. Like, th this doesn't seem right. This seems like it has had too much of an effect. Um, in the original, uh, Marty's father becomes a boxer as a result of him punching out Biff. The time machine was originally the stationary object that that didn't move. It just like you entered the time machine uh, and it was moved around like in the back of a truck like you would like a stage prop. Um, the, the idea of this drained time machine as this, this actual moving thing that is powered uh, comes from a, a documentary called The Atomic Cafe, which like in the original idea, was written to be powered by Marty, driving it into a nuclear explosion combined with Coca-Cola to those brand recognition things. 
Galen Zemeckis took inspiration from tales of legendary scientists opting to make the Time Machines creator an individual instead of a faceless corporation or government. The pair knew the time travel, though. No matter what, this is what they knew. And I think this is important. They knew that the time travel had to be an accident because if the person time traveled for personal gain, they would not be a hero. They would be impacting something to then benefit themselves rather than, oopsie, I went back and almost erased time and then I almost had to French kiss my mother to save the time. Uh, And so... Is a good move, despite the fact that I would like the French kissing part to not exist. The second draft did not get greenlit either, though. It it wasn't because it wasn't randy enough. It it was billed as a comedy, a 1980s comedy, and the comedy landscape of the 1980s, when the, when the company when Columbia Pictures looked out at the comedy landscape, they're like, hey, you know what? There's a lot of sexual humor and crash joking and you know what we need a little more of in order to make back to the future a real 1980s comedy we really need to foul it up and since back to the future it it didn't really have that foul vulgar comedy and so they didn't think it was going to be a comedy they didn't think it would be funny enough and so they were like no we're not going to green light it and so zemeckis took off he was like, hey, I'm going to go make a different movie. I'm, I'm not going to do Back to the Future. And so he took off and he made Romancing the Stone uh, because Back to the Future was stopped. And it took more development before it actually got accepted into full production. But what resulted in all of this time, huh, get it, time, was the hit 1985 film, which made gangbusters money in theaters as compared to what they thought it was going to do. And so, in Back to the Future, Doc Brown and Marty McFly, really it's just Marty, they go on their little adventure. And in case you don't see the connection, the idea gave birth to the concept and eventually became Rick and Morty. All because Dr. Emmett Brown invented the flux capacitor. But, like... What are we doing here? <laughs> you know, it's privy. Why, why else would we be here? Doc Brown invented the flux capacitor, but where did he get the idea for the flux capacitor? Because the date, ni- November 5th, 1955, uh, the writers reportedly selected this date coincidentally, but it also turns out to be co-writer Bob Gale's dad's birthday was the same day in 1922, so he'd be 33 years old. Today's date, the release of this podcast episode, marks the anniversary, November 5th, of when Doc Brown came up with the idea of the flux capacitor. And why are we talking about it? It's, this is a podcast about bathrooms. <laughs> we haven't traveled in time to another time or dimension or whatever you have where I'm sitting here talking about movies. God knows I wouldn't do that from my bathroom. Uh... But we're, we're talking about this because as you remember from the movie, Dr. Emmett Brown reports that he came up with the idea of the flux capacitor. He says he, Doc, leaned against the shiny frame of the, the, the DeLorean. 
his eyes misted in happy nostalgia. And he says, quote, I remember it, that is November 5th, 1955, vividly. He says, I was standing on the edge of my toilet. Ah, the toilet. It all comes back to the toilet. Hanging a clock. The porcelain was wet. I slipped and hit my head on the sink to my left. And when I came to, I had a revelation, a vision that was absolutely perfect. A picture in my head of everything I needed to do and how I could do it. He gestures to the car, the DeLorean sitting there. Believe it or not, I saw this, he continued. My dream or hallucination or whatever it was contained a picture of this. And then he, obviously in the movie, shows Marty the flux capacitor. Dr. Emmett Brown was standing on his toilet seat hanging a clock when he slipped and fell and bonked his head, thus resulting in him coming up with the flux capacitor, thus resulting in the ability to time travel. But here's the thing. I have a couple questions, and in exploring these questions, I'm going to put forth what I believe is a valid and probable fan theory. First, Dr. Emmett Brown, why, why are you hanging a clock in the bathroom? Look around your bathroom right now. Next time you're in the bathroom, go in your bathroom. If you're, if you're listening to this, go in your bathroom. Now, find me a clock. How many people have a freaking clock in their bathroom? I don't. I'm in my bathroom currently. There's no way to tell time other than my phone and my computer and my iPad. I've got an absorbent amount of technology sitting in my bathroom on a regular basis. Um, and I know this is not normal, but like do pe people don't have clocks in their bathroom. If you have a clock in your bathroom, shout at me because this is just weird to me. But why, why is Emmett Brown hanging a clock in his bathroom? Like what reason would a person have for a clock in the bathroom? Specifically, I would note, he's standing on the toilet to hang it above the toilet. So like, that's behind the toilet. If you're taking a, a poo and you're sitting down, you're, you're going to have to do a weird neck maneuver to even tell the time from the toilet seat. So it's not, it's not practical. If you're doing a stand-up job, if you're, an, if, if you're a person able to do a stand-up job, then you could see it while you do the stand-up job. But like, why do you need to know the time so badly in the bathroom? First question. Like, if you put a clock in a bathroom, you'd want it literally anywhere than above the toilet. That's what I'm saying. Literally anywhere else. But it's being put above the toilet. It's interesting. Second question it, to Dr. Brown is, what God's name are you doing using the toilet as a stool to stand on? If you have a bad toilet seat, you can just bust right through that thing. Like the toilet seat that I have here at our at our domicile, it's you know, it it gets the job done. It carries my fat duff on a 10-day basis. Um but like what reason you can bust that. My buddy this one time, he stood on a toilet to do one of the like, oh, I'm going to dump the ice over on the guy's showering prank. And, and he totally cracked like their toilet seat in his maneuver. Like, 
so don't stand on, you should not stand on your toilet seat cover. That is not what it's for. Like, just don't. Because my point is this, just get a step stool. Like, why did not Dr. Emmett Brown get a step stool? The dude's hanging a clock in his bathroom and he can't go find a step stool to do it? The lid is regulated to take on the weight of a person when it is spread out over the surface area of your two booty cheeks. Like, and some of us have more surface area going on back there than others, if you know what I'm saying. So don't stand on your toilet seat or your toilet seat cover to hang things or otherwise. Don't do it. No. Third question, and this might be the most important question. One that, one that um, has, <laughs> has haunted me since I reread this script for this scene. And that is, why is the porcelain so wet on this dang toilet, Doc Brown? It says the porcelain was so wet that he slipped on it. Now, like, I want you to think again. How often is your toilet, let alone the toilet seat or the toilet seat cover, wet enough to where if you tried to stand on it, you would slip completely off and in Dr. Emmett Brown's words, hit your head and knock yourself unconscious? How often is your toilet that wet? Like, even when you're cleaning your toilet. Your toilet seat is never that wet. Not wet enough to slip. That's bottom of the bathtub stuff, but that's not toilet seat stuff. He slips. He hits his head, and when he comes to, he has the revelation of the flux capacitor. Now, it's time for theories. I have a theory. Based on this bizarre circumstance of his toilet, this is weird. There's enough things here that are, I think, keying us in that, hey, there's something weird going on here. The dude's hanging a clock in his bathroom, can't find a step stool, got to stand on wet porcelain and falls and crunks his head. No, there's something, there's something crazy in play here. Something crazy that we don't see. I have a theory. And, and I think that we're dealing with time travel because here's something that I've learned, especially it when like when you start to inter- when you introduce time travel, the jig is up like because it's when you introduce time travel, you have to set some rules and parameters around time travel. Otherwise, you will be led to believe that any event in the character's past could have been a result of the time travel. Gotta get that big slurp. And so they they have obviously Back to the Future has time travel. The jig is up. I believe the circumstances of this event in the bathroom are just strange enough that it would point to another butterfly effect. One in which someone has gone back in time from the future to cause Dr. Emmett Brown to slip and hit his head and thus invent the thing that would become the tool by which he can time travel back to the event in which he invents time travel. 
I think in the original timeline, Doc Brown slipped in the shower. And something happened when whoever goes back, I think something happened when they went back to make Doc skip his shower for the day. And thus he does not slip in the shower. And thus he would not have invented time travel. And thus it messes up the timeline. So someone set this up. They set Doc Brown's bathroom up so he would, for whatever reason, need to hang a clock above his toilet where it's not going to be visible while taking a deuce. There's no step stool. He has to climb on, again, quote, wet porcelain. If that's not a setup, I don't know what is. Dude has to climb on wet porcelain and thus in doing so slips and bangs his head. And thus we have the timeline that we are presented with in Back to the Future. I think in the original timeline, timeline, Doc Brown slipped in the shower and something happened. I think something happened to keep Doc Brown from having slipped in the shower and thus they needed to fabricate a reason for him to slip and hit his head to then invent time travel. Someone set this up. Explain any other circumstance that necessitates a person hanging a clock over their toilet and a toilet seat cover wet enough to cause a grown man to slip. There's a lot more going on in Dr. Emmett Brown's bathroom than him dropping little Dr. Emmett Brown's. You know what I'm saying? It's a theory. Let me know what you think about the theory. And you can do so by emailing me, privycast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on social media. We're at privycast on all the social media things. Check out what we're going on over there. Um, follow all those things. Leave us a rating or review. Uh, the five-star option is our preferred. We, we'd love to uh, have those. It just helps people find the important work that's going on here, talking about bathrooms. Um, yeah, so the more, like, when people search, the more ratings, the easier it is for people to find it, that type of thing. You get it. You've heard it before. Yeah, hit us up. Let me know what you think about this this theory. I'm I'm convinced of it, but that's what it is. As always, we would like to thank Kevin McLeod for the use of Barroom Ballet. As our intro and outro music, you can find Kevin's music at incompetech.com. His music is licensed under Creative Commons License Attribution 4.0. Thanks, Kevin. This has been another episode of Privy. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been great having you. And now, until next time, don't forget to flush. <laughs>